Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. We just praise you that you've given it to us for us to learn about you, about your people, and about how you want us to be, Lord, and how you've come to save us, Lord, from ourselves and from hell, Lord. We just ask that you would just teach us, Lord, today. God, that you'd get me out of your way. Just thank you so much that your word never turns back void, Lord, that it always accomplishes its purpose. Just praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So um, when we have short verses, uh, I will read through all of it and then expound on it and teach through it. But today we have quite a bit to cover, so we're just going to start off the bat. So uh, we've been going through the book of Romans. Uh, for those of you who uh, are new, um, we do verse by verse, chapter by chapter studies of the Bible. Um, you'll get, sometimes you'll get a topical sermon from me, depending on, you know, what's going on. I've taught about, um, like, what the church is about and different things. Um, but I won't, you won't get a lot of topical messages here. Um, and the reason is, is that it's important for us as as people to know that the Bible is to be read verse by verse, to be taught verse by verse. I'm not up here to give my opinion. Um, I'm up here just to teach the Word of God. Amen. And so there's a lot of opinions in the world. I have an opinion. You all have opinions, but you know what those are all about. So um, we, really, we really reverence the Lord in, in the teaching of His Word. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to change our life for the better. And so that's kind of why we do that. So, um, and so <clears throat> we've been going through Romans. And so Paul um, was, uh, we, 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 Paul is giving, um, uncovering questions really that have come up pertaining to the gospel and pertaining to God's people, the Israelites. And um, historically um, and prophetically, um, the Israelites chose to deny their Messiah. Am I too loud out there? Okay. It's, it's hard for me to have, I have this audio field like right here. And so um, we're continuing through um, Paul's writing about um, the way the Israelites responded to the Messiah. And it's unfortunate, but um, they actually um, denied him when he came. And uh, I mean, they were the people who crucified him. They screamed out, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And so um, the day of their visitation, they missed out. And even still to this day, um, you know, Israel, majority of them choose, um, you know, not to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But the beautiful thing is, is that they're still God's people. They're his chosen people. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile and you were grafted in by the blood of Jesus. It's a privilege to be part of his people. And so we learned through that. We'll, we'll read about that today as well. So picking up in Romans chapter 9, verse 30, Paul says, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? And it's important to understand that if you were a Jew, you believed that you were righteous because you were raised under the law of God, the Old Testament, and Gentiles worshipped idols, and they were pagans. And so... Um, when Paul is bringing this, this when, when the Gentiles started coming to know Jesus and actually being brought in to the body, the Israelites had a problem with that. 
And so we, we see here Gentiles, you know, uh, um, Gentiles that did not chase after righteousness. That's why Paul says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. Have fun, Emily. So we see here that the Gentiles didn't chase after righteousness, but instead pursued wickedness. They have not created anything righteous through their own efforts at all, but it came through their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, a Gentile had no lineage of God, and yet the gospel spread like wildfire to those that didn't pursue him, didn't have a lifestyle of godliness at all as it pertained to the scene and the history and, 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 and the people group of the era when this is written. So we see in verse 31 and 32, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So Israel pursued the law of righteousness, but it did not attain it. They sought justification on the basis of law keeping and never found a law that would give them the ability to achieve or gain righteousness. And so it is today with people in this world. People pursue morality. They pursue giving money to things. They, they, they cause this process in their mind to make them feel like they have done something right. But the reality is, is that all of us, all mankind fall short of God's glory. All of us are sinners. God's word tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That state of who we are as human beings is a reality, and it's only by God's grace and mercy that we're justified. And so Paul is uncovering the reality of the attitude that the Israelites had. Well, you know what? I was grown up in this. I know this. I go to, you know, the temple every day. My father was this. My grandfather was this. We're all, you know, raised in, 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 in the law. We follow it. But the reality is, is that no one can follow the law of God perfectly. The law was created to show that we are actually imperfect people and in need of a perfect God. And God sent that to them, who is Jesus. Isaiah spoke of who he was hundreds of years before he came. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the book of Isaiah. And yet when Jesus came, they looked at only what they could attain in their own efforts. And how is that in this world with people? The same way. How is that... Us with, as Christians, we still struggle with trying to work this out in our own power. We're not to walk our life out as a Christian in our own strength. It's impossible. And I praise the Lord through the minutia of that happening in our life. If we have a soft heart towards the Lord and we ask him to keep our hearts soft, the Holy Spirit draws us and we become more and more dependent upon Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so Paul uncovers this reality is that the Israelites, the reason why is that they missed the Messiah is that they wanted to hold true to the, their own self-righteousness. That's what the Sanhedrin was so upset about. Jesus came and, and he took away all their, their, their public following they felt. They wanted to get rid of him. And so Jesus is this stumbling stone that Paul writes about. Verse 33, as it is written, behold, I lay, a, a, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So at the end of verse 32, where it says, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone, the stumbling stone is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He would have, 
He would have a twofold effect on people who came into contact with him. In the first part of verse 33, we see here where it says, Behold, I lay as in, I'm sorry, and I, Paul is quoting Isaiah 8:14, and Jesus, he would have been an offense and a stumbling stone to some. And Isaiah 8:14 says, He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Isaiah was prophesying what would happen when Jesus came on the scene. They freaked out when he came out. They did not like him. They tripped up their whole, he tripped up their whole religious system and unraveled it, and they couldn't accept it. Yet God let them know that that was going to happen to them. Isn't that how in our life God will warn us of things? And we're like, oh yeah, whatever. And then we find ourselves struggling with stuff because we never listened to what God told us beforehand. The other portion of Isaiah is Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, and, and to others who would believe in him, uh, he, they would not be put to shame. Isaiah 28, 16, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. And so we see here that those of us who give our lives to Jesus, we will not be put to shame as it pertains to our belief we're not going to be put to shame. God will protect us. He is our advocate. He is, we might have, you know, uh, strenuous situations in our life, but we won't be put to shame before God because of our relationship with God. God is greater. The word tells us that greater is he who is within us than he that is in the world. There's so much foundational information given to us through scripture about how God is our advocate, that he is for us. If he's for us, who can be against us? That Jesus overcame the world. So we won't be put to shame. And we see here Romans 10. We'll start in Romans 10 verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire, and this is so imperative to know that Paul, he was an Israelite. He was a, a Jew. He was a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he was so trained and so pursuing this whole thing of self-righteousness before he met Jesus that he was involved in orchestrating the first murder of a Christian. And so we always have to take into context who is writing to us and where they came from. And so Paul had every right to be able to share what he shared about the Israelites because he came out of it. And then furthermore, we see in, in verse one, his pastor's heart for his people. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. See, when God comes to us and lays open the reality of our shortcomings, his love is right there as well. A friend will tell you you're wrong, but he will also come alongside of you and help you to become right. God's word says that an enemy multiplies kisses, but the wounds of a friend are faithful. They don't always feel good but it's faithful. And so we see here that Paul, even though he's laying out the reality and we'll continue to look at that of the, the disbelief of his people, the Israelites, he still speaks this by the direction of the Holy Spirit to encourage those 
who might be Israelites that read this, that his prayers for them to be saved. Paul loved them. He desired them to be saved. We need to love those around us. We need to love the unsaved. We need to have a broken heart for those that don't know Jesus. If Jesus is in you, then God has called you, not me. God told me to stand here and encourage you to be mindful of those around you and pray for them, to love on them, to to look for opportunities, to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, here I am. How do you want to use me? And you'd be amazed what God will do because it's by the leading of his spirit that his people are actually moved around physically to actually minister to those that need to be ministered to by the Lord because the Lord is operating without us being able to see him in people's lives. Just like the prayer praise report of this teacher that sent to me in a text the other day about the student who wrote a letter to her teacher that doesn't know Jesus and all we were doing, and it's literally a specific answer to prayer. As a handful of us went to the high school after a young girl hung herself off the high school last school year, my wife's like, we need to go to campus and pray for the last seven weeks of school. So we went out every Monday morning at 7 a.m. Because we weren't clear to be on the campus, we went into the parking lot. They can't say anything about that. And one guy came with a guitar, and we, led, we sang worship, and we prayed. And we prayed for for an hour to two hours. And a specific prayer was for students to be bold that were Christians. And so when we received that yesterday, I mean the other day, it was like an encouragement from the Holy Spirit. Because when we pray, we don't always get answers. We don't always see God working. But we don't pray to see God working. We pray because he's a great God and he calls his people to cry out to him and intercede for others. And so my question is, are you doing that as a Christian? Are we asking God to move us in our lives? You know, don't focus on your shortcomings and the failures of your life and say, well, God doesn't love me. Well, if Jesus is in you, then confess your sins, get rid of it, walk on, and let's get to work for the kingdom of God. And so Paul just lays out this love that he has for them. Verse two, we see, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So Paul recognizes the heartfelt effort that the Israelites pursued God with. They were following a works-based religious system. No matter how passionate one might be in their pursuit of God through good works and religious deeds, they will never come into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's impossible. That's why you got to pray for Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and all the other religions in the world that claim God, but Jesus is not God in their religious system. It's all works-based. And they're all following a huge wide road to be separated from God forever. And God has put the mantle on his body to share the love of Jesus with others. I didn't write it. He just put it in here and said, hey, try it. Go tell someone Jesus loves him. You never know what'll happen. But so Paul's just really just laying the reality out of why the Israelites denied their savior. In verse three, we say for, we see him writing, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness 
have not submitted to the righteousness of God. How many of us are guilty of that? Of seeking to establish our own righteousness with God. See, our relationship with Jesus is just something that we need to receive. He did the work. We can't do any. I, I can't save me. I can't save you. But God can through his son, Jesus. So we see here in verse 3, the Israelites were ignorant of God's righteousness. And that word ignorant just means unknowledgeable. They, they, were, they, were, they were off. They weren't following what God had laid out. They were pursuing God without knowledge. They were doing this, they were doing this work ignoring him and what he had laid out as his plan. They were trying to establish their own righteousness without submitting to God's plan. We see in verse 4, Paul continues, For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. So the Israelites completely missed what the law was intended for. The purpose of the law, like I mentioned, is to reveal sin, to convict and to condemn transgressors. The penalty for the broken law was death. That's why they sacrificed all these animals. I mean, we, we are in a sterile environment right here, man. Back then, a church service was a bloody mess. It was bloody. If you start reading through the Old Testament and you read just the amount of animals that were needed just for the Levites alone, and the, it's just amazing the process that God required, the shed blood that was required. Christ ended that. Jesus settled that. He paid that price so that we would be set free, so that we wouldn't be in bondage, so that we wouldn't try, so that we wouldn't be trying to strive to satisfy a law. Because I'm so grateful that God knew that we wouldn't be able to. And he knew all the way back in the Garden of Eden, the Proto-Evangelium where, where the Lord wrote out about Jesus crushing the head of Satan and his heel being wounded, speaking of his crucifixion. It's in Genesis. And it's amazing that even after Adam and Eve decided to disobey the word of God and not trust God's word and being led astray by the enemy, God still put his plan into place that he was sending his Savior. It's such an amazing thing. And so Christ is the end of the law, this righteousness to everyone who believes. Israelites, they missed it. The purpose of the law, like I mentioned, revealed sin and transgression. The penalty of breaking it was death. It can never impart righteousness. Christ came to fulfill the law, and he did fulfill it 100%. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And it was done. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill it. So Jesus came so that everyone who believes in him receives from God what they could never accomplish on their own through religious acts of trying to follow the law of God. Through Christ, we gain a right standing before a holy God. 
He's holy. He's perfect. And because of Jesus, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior and decide to follow him, we gain his righteousness in our life. Not us, but his. And God looks at us and sees that. And it's a beautiful thing. And we should revel in it. It's why we sing the songs we sing. It's a beautiful thing. So we see in verse five, for Moses writes about the righteousness, which is the law. The man, quote, the man who does those things shall live by them. In other words, if you want to become righteous through the law, you are to live it out in perfect, in perfect obedience with no fault at all. Of course, no person on earth could ever live out the law perfectly and never has. But the Israelites thought they had. They were deceived by their own efforts. May God forgive us for thinking that we can do anything in our own efforts when it pertains to our righteousness or our walk with Christ or do any work for him in ministry or be able to love the way the Holy Spirit says the fruit of the Spirit is. That's been a conviction of mine lately. Like, is my, am, am I acting with, is the fruit of the Spirit evident in my life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. I know that that wasn't all of them, but those are the ones I always remember. We see verse 6 and 7 in Romans chapter 10, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. And so we see here where it says, but the, righteous of, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Uh, to explain these two verses, uh, but faith in Jesus Christ is not trying to go up to, heaven, to the heavens to find Christ. He has already come to the earth. He already came. Or trying to go to the depths of the sea and find Christ there. That is not needed. He has already ascended to heaven from the grave. We don't need to try and go to these places to find Jesus. We just have to believe in the work of the cross that he died for our sins on Calvary and receive from him the free gift of salvation. In verse eight, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. So Paul continues to quote the Old Testament, applying it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this verse, we see that the word or the gospel, it is near you. In other words, it is, it is not out of reach. It is in your mouth. In other words, easy to understand. The words of the gospel are simple. And where it says in your heart, it is easy to understand in your mind as well. In other words, the gospel is not confusing. It's not hard. It's not difficult. That's why the highest percentage of people that are saved are children, because it's simple. As adults, we confuse it. We make excuses. That's why the sermon title is No Excuses. The Israelites had tons of them and missed out. And today they still are missing out. There's still only a remnant that's been saved, but they're still God's chosen people and he loves them dearly. Verse nine, and I love this. And some of us who share the gospel with people, we quote this a lot. Now Paul kind of writes out what happens and how to get saved. 
and so in the first, in, in verse eight, we see that, that the gospel is near us. And then in verse nine, we see that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Some people have a problem with that. They're like, okay, well, is that all it takes? Yeah. God made it simple. Because it's the most important thing that any human being will ever do in their life. There's nothing more important than salvation. Nothing. Church services aren't that important. Buildings aren't important. People being saved from hell is the most important thing happening right now on the earth. Why do you think there's so much opposition in the schools? Why do you think there's so much coverage in the media about things that are irrelevant? Why do you think that our phones are so in tune to keep us distracted? Because there's a, a power at play that wants to draw mankind away from the simplicity of the gospel and cloud it with every other thing in this world. That's why even as Christians, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day, we need to recognize that Jesus is our savior. Because when we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the real love that God has for us individually. And if we lose sight of the real love that God has for us individually, what do we have to share with others who don't know about God's love? It's so important. And I'm preaching to myself, you guys. I'm not preaching at you. I'm speaking to all of us. I need to recognize that. You need to recognize that. Every day, Jesus, thank you for saving me. And if Jesus isn't your savior today, right now, if it's a question in your heart and mind, then today's the day of salvation. Why wait? Why, why wait any longer? Why not make sure that your eternity is secured today. We're all going to live for eternity. God gave all mankind a soul. I, you know, it's been referred to, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart that only the Lord can fill it with his son, Jesus, receiving him. But the reality is, is that God, all of human beings have an eternal destination. God desires all men to come to know him and to be saved. But there are some who will deny him and they will not live with God for eternity. They will be separated from him for eternity. And the other reality is, is that until we know Jesus, until we make him the Lord of our life, God's word tells us that we stand in judgment that God is against us. God's word says, if you aren't for me, you're against me. And so it's black and white, and it's a real serious thing. It's life and death. And so I'm here to share with you, not as a heavy hand, but as a loving concern for people. I love people. I, I, I've been in sales all my life, and I was told by a promotions director, Brian, you don't like making money. You love people. And I'd been in sales for 20 years at that time, and nobody ever told me that. 
I've sold everything, diamonds, telecom, you name it. Never sold cars unless they were my own. And God put a love in my heart for people. I love people. And so when I stand here and share the seriousness of these things, it's because I love people. And I would hate to lose out on the opportunity to share with you guys, to encourage you. And if maybe if you don't know him and you're sitting here, I don't know. I'd be doing people a disservice. And so I just want to let you guys know that sometimes I, I get really passionate about the gospel. And we're really in Romans. Romans is all about the gospel. It really is. And so it's a very serious thing if God gave us a whole book about that. And, 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 and that really the Bible is all about it. God must be really serious about it. And so Paul's really serious too. And it's so beautiful that in verse 9, the, the, the fact about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it personally is applied to your life, to my life, where we see confess, that word confess, it means to acknowledge everything. In verse 9 where it says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. It means to acknowledge everything about Jesus Christ as truth and fact. Everything that God said about Christ and everything that Christ said about himself, that he is the savior of the world, that he is God in the flesh, that you and I can never please God nor go to heaven without Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's what verse 9 is. When that word confess, it is acknowledging the totality and the realness of your need and who Jesus is and your need for a Savior. Jesus said, John 14, 6-7, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am Elohim. I am God. I am the great I am. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or he is God walking amongst humans because we needed to see God. We needed to see that God loved us and was real and tangible. God's the same yesterday. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He sent his Holy Spirit to his people in Pentecost, then when a Christian invites Jesus into their life, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in them, empowers them, changes them radically. I know some of your testimonies, the chains that have been released from our past. That's a God thing, not a religious thing. And then God gets the glory. We look at ourselves, we're like, I'm an idiot and you still love me. Hey, I got friends who are idiots. Let me tell you about this guy who loves idiots. What? It's simple. Hear what I say about him and just accept it. What? What do you mean? 
Don't I have to have, fill out an application or go to like catechism or like go to Bible college or learn? No. And where Jesus said that he was the way, it means he's it. It's a way to heaven. When it says that he's the truth, it's literally he is truth. When it says it's life, it's literally he is life. We gain all that. The world needs to see that in us. And Paul's sharing this with the readers of Romans. You are to acknowledge verbally with your mouth the need you have for Jesus. The need you have for Jesus to be in charge of your life as the Lord of your life and believe in your heart, not just in your head. Spurgeon wrote, we believe everything which the Lord Jesus has taught, but we must go a step further and trust him. It is not even enough to believe in him as being the son of God and the anointed of the Lord, but we must believe on him. The faith that saves is not believing certain truths, nor even believing that Jesus is, is a savior. But it is resting on him, depending on him, lying or laying with all your weight on Christ as the foundation of your hope. Believe that he can save you. Believe that he will save you. At any rate, leave the whole matter of your salvation with him in unquestioning confidence. Depend upon him without fear as to your present and eternal salvation. This is the faith which saves the soul. 100% dependence. It's when we go and we say, God, I just, I want you. I want to be saved. I want you in my life, Jesus. I may have messed up things. I may have made things. Whatever your past is, is irrelevant. And some people are like, well, you're just making excuses for all the things you didn't know. I didn't write it. God did. And he gave it as his love letter to us. How many of you guys need love? I need love. I need a love that is not wavering. I need a love that is not emotionally dependent. I need a love that's not dependent on my own psychosis that happens in my own head 24 hours a day. All the insecurities that I have, all of the things that weigh down on me, all the pressures of life, I need something stable in my life. And you do too. And it's Jesus. And if you don't have him, you're missing out. You're empty. You're wandering. You're struggling. You're burdened. The Lord said, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, when we give our life to Jesus... It's not just the eternal salvation only. He loves us and guides us. That yoke used in that scripture that I just quoted, and I know I probably didn't quote it exactly verbatim. It speaks of two animals, and, and, and a yoke is, is what oxen would have over their necks, and, 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 and the person would drive them to, to either you know, dig the field or whatever. And, and, and in this picture, though, it is what happens when a trained ox would have a younger ox and they would lay that same yoke over them and the younger ox 
would be led by the trained ox. And Jesus is that trained ox for us. And we are to yoke ourselves to him. We are to connect to him. And we're to do everything we possibly can in our power to stay that way. That's why it's so important that we read the Bible daily, that we invite him into our life and make a habit of it. How many of you brush your teeth? Don't, you don't have to raise your hand if you did or didn't. But we have habits in our life that really have no eternal or bearing on our life. It can't change anything. It might change our dentist. But if we build a habit into our life that builds foundational spiritual fortitude, it comes from reading of the word. Not sitting here listening to me. It comes from a daily reading. Letting the Lord be, letting Jesus be the actual Lord of your life. In verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I love Paul kind of expounds on what verse nine was. In other words, it is in your soul, your heart, the place where you believe this thing, where you believe this brings you to that place of right standing with God. Then you are to speak it out openly. The result is salvation. So we're to accept the truth of Jesus and who he is, what the Bible says about him. We're to accept and believe in our heart, our deepest part, and we're to confess it physically with our mouth. There's something about speaking something out. It means you believe it enough to say something. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It's our belief in Jesus Christ that saves us. We will not be put to shame. Praise the Lord, I am so glad. Verse 12 and 13, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In other words, the Lord does not have any barriers to anyone at all that comes to him. He not just gives a little, but all that he has for you. He richly gives to you those that call upon his name. He richly gives to us. Any and all that call upon the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved. Verse 14, for then shall they call, for, I'm sorry, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom, ha, whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I love the Bible. It's so practical. Paul really brings this home in such a tangible way, the reality of the process of people coming into contact with the true and living God, Jesus Christ, the Savior. You can't call on Jesus Christ if you don't believe. You can't believe in Jesus Christ if you have not actually heard about him. And unless there is someone speaking publicly about who Jesus is, there's no way to hear about him. So church, what are you doing with this? What are we doing with this? We look at this and we think we're not qualified. But if Jesus is in you, you are qualified. You have connections with people that I don't have. You have a love for people that I don't have. And if you're like Brian and I, that person, that's okay. Pray. Talk to God about it. You'd be surprised. Over the 17 years that Gene and I have been married, we have prayed specifically for things for, 
for people. People that we've never even spoken to hardly about the Lord. And when we do, it's really frustrating because they just had a different religion in their life. Then we get a testimony one day of them preparing to actually go teach in the Mormon church and scales falling off their eyes and them realizing that they were believing a lie. It's my father-in-law. I love him dearly. But Gene and I prayed faithfully for him. Prayer works. We didn't do anything. God did it. Now he's in charge of men's ministries at Calvary Chapel, Nevada. He, he helps out with that. So if there's stubborn people in your life, you're like, well, they'll never listen. Well, God knows how to work with them. If God knows how to work with you, He knows how to work with others. If God knows how to love Israel when they crucified Him, He knows how to love everyone. But we're to speak out. We're to share with others. Verse 11, for Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. I already read that, sorry. Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So how shall anyone go speak about Jesus Christ at all unless they are sent? And you are all, as Christians, called by God to share about Jesus to those around you. It's part of our relationship with Him. We're to read the Word, we're to pray, we're to stay in fellowship, and we're to share with others our belief. Some of us are just more excited about it, like me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but there's a real thing, though. You can go and say, okay, I'm gonna, I feel led. Lord, you convicted me about this. I'm going to go do this. And what will happen is the enemy is going to create opposition in your life directly because Satan hates people. He hates everyone. He wants them all to go to hell because he knows that's where he's going. And he wants people to be there with him. God didn't make hell for human beings, for all the fallen angels and for Satan himself and the Antichrist. But the enemy will give opposition, create roadblocks, create frustration. And then you'll be like, forget it. Man, pray. Find somebody else who will pray with you. I feel opposition. I need people to pray with me, you know. And please be praying for this youth rally. Um, there's, it's a big thing, not because of this church. I don't care if anybody comes to this church. I care if people go to heaven. Amen. This isn't about filling churches. This is about filling heaven. Amen. Before Jesus comes back, and he's coming back sooner than we first believed. So God has asked all of us to do these things. But yes, Paul is speaking about the calling of a preacher. I, I, I know, I'm kind of mixing it up a little bit. Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 7 in verse 15. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, 
who says to Zion, your, your God reigns. Isaiah was speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, directly in Isaiah 52, 7. But notice how the Holy Spirit allows the change in Romans 10, 14. It is now how beautiful are the feet of those. In Isaiah, it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him. So in Isaiah 52, 7, it's speaking of Jesus, the Messiah. In Romans chapter 10, verse 15, sorry, not 14. In verse 15, it's speaking of us. How beautiful are the feet of those. So with the same beauty that Isaiah wrote about the Messiah, the Holy Spirit ascribes to his people about sharing the gospel with others. Verse 16 and 17 we see, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Again, Paul comes back to the Israelites. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? If you haven't read Isaiah chapter 53, please go read it. It's an amazing account of Christ. Um, so there were those that did not believe, as Isaiah prophesied. And the fact was that when Jesus came to his people, there was very few that believed out of the Israelites. Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. When someone says, are you hearing me? My dad and I were talking about this yesterday. You know, we were barbecuing something and I said, are you listening? He goes, well, there's a difference between listening and hearing. How many of you ever have kids and you're raising them? They can say they hear you, but when you actually hear somebody is when you apply it. So when someone says, are you hearing me? They are asking, are you receiving what I am saying to you? So faith in Jesus Christ comes when we actually hear what is being spoken about him. And this hearing about him comes to us through the word of God. In other words, are you really receiving what God's word is saying about Jesus? So faith comes from hearing and through the word of God. Verse 18, now we get into a couple of testimonies from Psalm 19:4. Paul says, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So the question is asked by Paul, have the Israelites heard the gospel? Paul quotes from Psalm 19:4, proving that the word of the gospel had gone forth and Israel had heard it. They are without excuse. Their decision to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ was not because they had not been told about him, but the fact is they willfully chose to reject their Messiah. In verse 19, the testimony through Deuteronomy 32, 21, Paul quotes from there. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. So the Lord calling the Gentiles into salvation and the majority of the Jewish people rejecting the Messiah should have been of no surprise to the nation of Israel. Their own scripture told them this would be happening. God warned that he would provoke Israel to jealousy by a non-nation, which would be the Gentiles, and anger Israel by a foolish, idolatrous nation. Verse 20 in Romans 10, the testimony of Isaiah 65, 1, and then verse 21, where we'll close, is the testimony of Isaiah 65, 2. I love how the Old Testament 
confirms Christ in the New Testament. Scripture interprets Scripture. Man doesn't interpret Scripture. If you are in front of a preacher who doesn't open the Bible and speaks his own mind about everything, run, because they're a false teacher. Like I said before, this is the idiot filter, okay? It filters that stuff out. It filters me out of the equation. And I don't know everything. None of us do. But we see here in verse 20, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who do not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. It's important to understand that God's people, the Israelites, were the ones that received this from Isaiah, not the Gentiles. And so for Isaiah to speak this, this boldness towards the Israelites about who would come to know the Messiah is really, it would infuriate them. So Jesus Christ was found by the Gentiles, those that seemed not to even be seeking him. Could you imagine that? Well, wait, wait my, my, I'm five generations from my Abraham. Why are you letting this pagan person who worshiped crazy gods be into your kingdom? Could you see the divide that would be in the Israelites' minds? And Paul's just uncovering the reality that they were already told that this would be happening. So Jesus Christ was found by the Gentiles, those that seemed to not even be seeking him. They lived for pagan things compared to the Israelites. The Gentiles didn't ask for the Messiah, yet he was made known to them. Then the testimony, Isaiah 65, 2, and we'll close with verse 21. Paul saying, but to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. It's amazing in verse 21. Paul reminds the hearers, and this is what I alluded to earlier, that God loves Israel. He loves them. They're his people. And he loves us. How many of us have been disobedient and, and, and contrary to God's word? Paul reminds the hearers that God has stretched out his hand all day long to Israel, even in their disobedience and in their contrary, or in other words, that word contrary means their direct opposition towards God's plan for their life. Can you, I don't do that to people. If somebody has direct opposition towards me, my first reaction is, but God himself, he is loving and kind and gracious and full of mercy. And see, the Israelites, they, 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 willing reje they willingly rejected their Messiah, knowing very well who he was. Their scripture told them that God would send Jesus Christ to them to save them, and he did. This is such a picture of the unmeasurable depth of God's love and grace and mercy for his people, Israel. It's unmeasurable. He loves them so much. And this is such a picture of the unmeasurable, I'm sorry, and he loves them so much, despite their disobedience and rejection of their Messiah, he still stretched out his hand to them and continues to do so to this day today. They are still his people. 
And the Lord speaks to all of us today. He says, see, I have given you my son, Jesus. He has taken care of my requirement for sin, which was his death, to give you life. He willingly took your place on the cross so that you might truly live. If Jesus is not your savior, may I be bold and say that you are not truly living today and it's time to truly live. May we all choose Jesus today. If there's anybody who has never made a decision for the Lord and would like to invite them into their heart and secure their relationship with him, I'll be here after service. I know we're going to start moving stuff around after service for 242 potluck. Sorry, some of you. Like, what's 242? But if you need prayer for anything else as well, um, I'll be up here after service as well. Gina's going to close us in a song. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for um, calling Paul into his ministry, Lord, and just using him in spite of him, that, Lord, he, he was a treacherous man, and you stopped him in his tracks, and you put your spirit in him, and he gave his life away to you so that we might hear about you in a great way too, Lord. And so I thank you so much, God, for all of the men and women that have gone before us to share with us through the word of God and personally that have come into contact with our lives before we knew you. I praise you for those people that have shared the truth of you, Jesus, in my life personally before I even was real, when I was running away from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would instill in us just a beautiful love for you, God, recognizing that you love us. Thank you so much for the testimony of, 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 of your love for the Israelites. And Lord, that if we confess you as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised you from the dead, that we'll be saved, Lord. We, we confess these things, Lord. If we don't know you, Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that a person would make a decision today that they would be uncomfortable until they make that choice. And for those of us, Lord, that may be on the edge and may feel like they've run away from you, I pray that today would be a great day of restoration. So please, Lord, help us. Just thank you so much, God. Help us to be about your business. Slow us down that we would see your fingerprints, God. Get us out of your way. And Lord, if there's anything in our lives that is not of you, that you would graciously tear it down and give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding on how to live as Christians, followers of Christ in a world that is so openly against you today. Thank you, Lord, that we might have tribulation in this world, but you have overcome it. We praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.